Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Drive along any street in town, and you'll see lawn signs or maybe even a billboard where a local business is looking to hire. The Canadian economy added 94,000 jobs in July, bringing employment to within 250,000 of pre-pandemic levels. But the numbers are also showing a weaker-than-expected hiring, especially in restaurants and hotels. Employers are struggling to find staff. Not since 2018 have businesses struggled this hard to find skilled or semi-skilled labour at least according to a Canadian Federation of Business survey done in July. This week's show explores what is going on with people and jobs. The first interview is with Noreen Rizvi, the Ontario Regional Director for Unifor, a major union in Canada. She will be talking about the rise in unionization across the country. In January, Statistics Canada reported an uptick in the number of workers joining unions especially in retail, during the pandemic. This is a break from decades-long downward trends. She will address this trend and others. I'm so pleased to have with me today Noreen Rizvi, the Ontario Regional Director for Unifor. Welcome to Consider This. Thank you very much for having me again. When you drive around Northumberland, there are all kinds of signs around where businesses are saying they are hiring. And obviously businesses are seeking employees as the economy is slowly restarting. And yet there are numerous reports about the difficulties these businesses are having finding employees, uh, at least according to a survey done by the Canadian Federation of Independent Business in July. From your perspective, what is happening across Ontario as jobs are opening and the number are increasing, the economy is restarting, and yet workers are hesitant to leap back into the workforce. Um, well, I mean, you know, first of all, I think that we shouldn't um, underestimate the effects of the pandemic, <clears throat> the effects of the pandemic on people's uh, mental well being. Uh, is certainly something that, uh, you know, isn't always visible to us, but where people were it, uh, you know, pre COVID. Uh, functioning as a complete, uh, you know, part of society, community, in employment, in the labor workforce, depending on what their situations were and what kind of resources and supports they had at home, we have a lot of people that we see, you know, that live by themselves. And imagine a 17 or 18 month sort of uh, period of time where there was so many different lockdowns and 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 um, and in in a time where you were isolated, very much isolated, and even if the government put forward mental health supports and many other things, they weren't easily accessible. The lineups were long. I think that we can't underestimate the <clears throat> what that has done to people, and a lot of folks have 
been impacted by this in different ways. They've actually felt the tragedy through loss of life of family members. We don't really know what a person's situation is. We just know that a global pandemic that killed 2 million, that took that many lives and ripped through our province in the worst way, there is no one that's going to be left here unscathed. And so there's different reasons why people are, you know, uh, scared to even be outside at times. <clears throat> and I, I think that that's a really, that's a, you know, that's something that isn't looked into enough. We talk about a person's well-being, but we actually haven't talked about what is the transition back into a, uh, we haven't even, we don't even, we're not even in a normal world and back to where we were, but what does that transition look like for many people, right? In January, Statistics Canada reported there was a sudden growth in unionization. You are on the ground, on the front lines of the union movement. What are you seeing? I think the pandemic uh, let, uh, it did a couple of things. One, <clears throat> vulnerable workers who are in a precarious work um, or in, you know, even if they're not in precarious work, but are in, in, in low wage uh, work environments um, where employment uh, schedules are tough, employment relations are tough, like in retail, for example, um, like in healthcare, for example, uh, they felt even more vulnerable and the lack of any advocacy again, uh, you know, within their uh, employment um, and with their uh, employers came something that was like largely looming in their face, I think. And uh, unions, particularly ours, were very loud out there in terms of wanting to protect workers uh, from the disease, from the virus, having um, you know, partnerships, creating partnerships with the employer to say, we're here and we're not going anywhere. We have to come up with a plan on how these workers remain safe at, in their workplace. Uh, the fact that you know, we, had, uh, we did massive fight backs for essential service uh, workers and frontline workers, we did that publicly. We did that publicly largely uh, to gain community support uh, to put the pressure on the government, because that's how you do it. But the effect of that was the visibility created by this massive force, which you can call a union, but a massive force that is out there advocating in the face of a global pandemic uh, for workers who feel normally very vulnerable and they turn to us organically. And you're absolutely correct. Those numbers are very reflective of what's happening in our union today. Um, you know, in retail and warehousing, uh, we see the largest amount of uh, workers coming to us. You know, when you think about warehouse and retail, if you jump directly to Amazon, for example, we saw the Amazon fulfillment centers get hit, get hit hard in large numbers, and then they would get, you know, they would shut down. And once they open back up, you think the employees just, you know, uh, come back in feeling great and safe and protected. And no, they don't. They're still with the same employer in the same working conditions that they were in where this exposure took place. And so when they see other places like No Frills, like Metro, where unions are taking a, you know, a very um, front and center approach and, uh, and very loudly saying to employers, here's what we need and, and workers, here's your right to know, right to refuse and all of those things. They're thinking, why not us as well? We actually do need it. 
So I think the pandemic created, you know, usually it, it is employment relations and usually it's wages and benefits and pensions. It created a need for safety and security it, uh, that was larger than having a wage increase, larger than having good benefits. Now, I wonder the two points you've made under the two questions, if those two things aren't combining here. And uh, I've spoken with academics who have pointed out that people's attitudes towards work is changing. What are your members telling you about the changing attitudes that we may be seeing, not just within the people you represent, but within a society as a whole, uh, about our larger values towards working people? Yeah, uh, you know, I think essential workers are now, you, we could probably change the name to like valuable workers, valued workers. People, that, that attitude has changed. Because how do you not owe a debt of gratitude to the people who you saw outside, and you didn't have to be one of those, you could work from home, who you saw outside carrying the burden of this pandemic in the very beginning, putting themselves in harm's way, caring for the very Ill, uh, uh, sick and ill, um, and, and stocking up your you know, uh, shelves so you could have, have food. And, and, and myself, for example, working from home, I felt that every single day going into a grocery store and seeing, uh, seeing these people. And I thought, well, here's another young worker probably has a family at home, you know, and has to be here. So you, you know, it changed, I think, people's perception and they personalized themselves to these workers who then became more than just community. They become family because when somebody cares for you and they become your caregiver, it becomes very personal. So I think that people in, uh, in our communities that have worked in grocery, that have worked in hospitals and all of that, uh, those people are closer to the general public's heart than ever before. And that's something that will never turn. The tide will never turn on that. So employers will never be able to turn back and devalue those workers. Um, <clears throat> when I go back to sort of the first question you, uh, you were, uh, you know, you started with, with was this whole thing of working from home. There was a time where, you know, even in, in a unionized workforce, uh, workers were, you know, they would come to the union to see if there was a way that they could work from home, telework, or, but they were also very wary of not upsetting their employer because it was an un, it wasn't a very common phenomenon and it was all and the employers were always able to get away with we can't actually function we can't do it it's going to increase our cost because we're going to have to set you up at home and and you know performance won't be there and you won't be part of the team and all of the excuses they gave over the years that made it seem like you have no choice but to get up every single day put your child in daycare or child care now you got to pay that cost you got to pay the cost of your car and your insurance and your gas and the clothes that you wear as you come out and the two hours of commute before and two hours of commute. Well, you know what? All of that went to hell in a handbasket. I mean, performance was up, right? Employee and employer relationships were at their best. Grievances were down. I'm talking about even in non-unionized um, workplaces, uh, you know, we've had uh, reports back that uh, the relationship between employer and employee are the better, better than they've ever been. And nobody had low production. And so here's a way where people thought, well, I don't need to be in the workplace. And I save all of these additional costs because and time, because I don't actually have to be out there. And employers similarly are right there, by the way, saying, you know, maybe we don't need this retail space. 
We don't need to have these looming buildings full of people that are being managed by other people. And, and not everybody does really well being managed by other people, right? And, um, and so it's actually been a win-win, but that is the new direction of work. And we are now exploring that in collective bargaining to say, that's fine if that's the direction. Our workers have to go along with it. You can't you know, create ways to remotely uh, get rid of the employment. And so we're, you know, in Unifor trying to get ahead of the fact that we, for 18 months, employers have figured out and workers have figured out a better way, a new way of working. It may not be better, but certainly is a new way and a different, and a different option. And I'll tell you for some single parents, um, Rob, this is not a bad thing. It is not a bad thing at all. And where you have childcare, where we sit today in Ontario at 1800 a month, if you're able to somehow balance that and still be able to perform and suddenly you're not giving away what would be a mortgage for a child's child care cost, why not? So is this a trend we should be looking for as contracts are coming up and as, as the unions going forward? Absolutely. We're, we're already in the midst of it. We're in the thick of it, in fact. Uh, even out West, uh, we have um, one of our really big telecom companies out West in uh, Saskatchewan, who said, you know what, um, we did better than we ever uh, did in terms of production, in terms of servicing customers and clients, and our employer, employees are uh, better than we ever, uh, employee relationships better than it ever has been. And we actually think we're going to keep 70% of, allow 70% of our workforce to work from home. And why not? And so, so this is definitely a trend. The federal government tracks work stoppages. And the most recent report shows the number of work stoppages due to a strike or lockout is slowly growing, especially in the last few months. It has gone from six in January to 35 in June. That's nearly a six-fold increase. What is fueling this increase? You know, I, I, I think, uh, and I'm, we've had a couple of strikes and really uh, they're, they're all, in, in some cases, in businesses, like I think people, all th uh, everyone thinks, well, we got hit by a pandemic, the economy's bad, businesses are suffering. Why are there labor disputes? That's not the case for every industry. E-commerce and retail, when they sat at 400 and 500% uh, profit, that is not the type of industry that's doing that. And where you see um, employees fighting back is in, in uh, sectors where predominantly they've always been um, you know, pushed down in terms of wages. Now they see their employers making four and 500 times and not uh, not just uh, it's not just about you know giving wages to uh, to uh, giving them similar wages, but really what the value is of an essential worker today. After people have been have gone through this pandemic, they even know their own value, and they're ready to fight for that value when they see that they were able they came in uh, in the midst of putting themselves in harm's way. Their employer did four or five hundred percent, you know over what they did the year before in terms of profit and you know you're going to see a, a dime on your wage increase I don't think that's going to happen um, where we've seen a pandemic pay being taken away in the midst of a second wave or into the fourth wave now those are the kind of places where workers are now starting to fight back because if that money doesn't go to workers it is actually going to shareholders and sort of pocketing 
the investors, right? And there, I think there's a shift now from community and workers who believe that we actually are part of the this, why you've made such profit and we deserve some of this as well. It shouldn't always be that, you know, the, the money's made from the bottom and then pushed all the way up to the top. You have been on picket lines in the past week or so. Can you tell us a bit about what you've experienced on those picket lines and what's being said and, and what are some of the things that people are talking about? Well, we've got our uh, uh, our uh, Bombardier and de Havilland plant um, in Downsview down here that is uh, on strike. And I mean, tough situation there, right? Because there's, uh, you know, uh, there's obviously the um, aerospace industry has been hit hard when travel is low, when the hospitality industry is at, uh, you know, it has been hit hard. Well, of course, uh, you know, people aren't buying tickets to sit in a seat on a plane. There's also not that many orders coming in um, for uh, for airplanes, right? But the fact is that there will be recovery. There will be recovery. The government has provided, uh, you know, subsidies to the airline industry. Uh, they, they because they don't they they cannot afford to have a collapse of those industries. That is a fact. And when you have so many workers attached to this, these sectors, you cannot afford to do that. Uh, you know, whether you give them the subsidy up front to the employers to keep them afloat, to keep the employees going, or, or everybody ends up on EI, one way or the other, you're funding it. It just has to, you know, it's, it's sort of where is this going? And, and so, you know, our dispute really is about the fact that this industry will bounce back. And when it bounces back, these are the workers who went through the pandemic with you. And they should be brought back and they should be recalled uh, to come back to these uh, to these jobs, because we do know that there's um, there's going to be investments that are going to be made by the government uh, to these uh, to this to these companies to De Havilland to Longview. And, uh, you know, the commitment should be to the workers who have been there. And, and by the way, some of them have been there 30, 35, 40 years, but it's a multi-generational type of environment where your grandfather worked there, he brought your father in, your father brought you in, your spouse works there, and you have spent generations in this. Um, there's, a, this there's a real community uh, in these um, uh, jobs. And so aerospace workers that have been there are highly skilled, they're well-paid, you know, it's going to take two and three retail jobs to make up what each person will lose if they if they don't have a spot waiting for them when the industry recovers. And that's what the big fight is about. You've made a lot of interesting points. And I just wonder, do you think with all of the things that we've talked about that we will see more labor action, more work stoppages or other forms of unrest in the near future? I think you'll see labor stoppages where there there's unreasonable behavior from employers. I don't know that this is going to create some sort of a trend. Uh, the pandemic has not put, uh, you know, we've just, uh, we have one labor dispute. We have six or seven collective agreements being signed on the same day. So I don't know that the pandemic is fueling the labor's, uh, uh, you know, disputes and work stoppages. I think it has, um, I think it has made people 
uh, workers in a union environment feel a lot stronger knowing what their union has done for them through their 17 and 18 months, that they feel that if there is an unreasonable position, that they're willing to take it on now. And they understand that collectively, uh, it, uh, you know, together there's a there's some real power in that um, sort of bargaining. Um, so, but will I see, do I think that there's gonna be more unions coming up? No, I think workers are going to, uh, workers are going to go towards unions. I don't know if new unions will be formed as much to be perfectly honest. And that may be something, you know, that is the case, Rob, but I haven't, it's not something that's really been on my horizon, so I, I don't want to comment, but I do believe that we're going to see workers trying to find themselves in homes where they see a community of interest, whether it's a healthcare union, where they see this is a healthcare union, or this is you know a union that predominantly is uh, uh, one that represents casinos, they're going to try to look for a home there. To build on that, then, I, I wonder to what extent uh, some of these smaller businesses, I know legislation and the way that it, uh, the government has set things up is that unions have often a hard time, especially in retail, with the smaller stores being able to, uh, to unionize. Do you think uh, there is an appetite in Canada now in light of what we've been through and how workers' are, attitudes are changing, we as a society, our attitudes may be changing, do you think there's an appetite to see some political shifts um, that might open the door to allowing some of these uh, workers who have not traditionally uh, found easy access to unionization, finding better or asking uh, for unions to come in uh, because of what uh, we've gone through through the pandemic? I think that the uh, political pressure is coming from the South. When you hear President Biden talk about the importance of uh, good unionized jobs, not just jobs. When he's talking about good jobs, he's very vocal. For the very first time, somebody in office there is um, you know, vocalizing that a good job is a union job because here's all the things that come with it. Um, and I think that political, that, you know, putting that out there was very bold. Uh, I think during election time, they often say that, but after they've secured their seat in their office, they don't often. And we're seeing that from down south. And I think that that pressure is going to uh, be felt here. Um, certainly, I can tell you that uh, being in the labor uh, <coughs> environment, we're going to jump on that. And, uh, and, and we're expecting and wanting and, and trying to get our, the governments here um, uh, to shift their, their thoughts and include this in, your, in their remarks, that a good job is also a unionized job, that you, know, you do have, having representation in the workplace is a good thing. It is a, it's part of having a good job. Having someone advocate for you is part of having a good job. A pension, benefits, those are parts of having good jobs and um, decent wages. Because the other thing that we do once you're unionized, by the way, and I think people don't always make the connection is we really try to, because the union is dead in the water if you outsource all the work and contract it out and have it all done overseas. So the one thing that a unionized shop does for you is ensure that the work is, the employment remains here in Canada, right? Because you're unionizing the, the workforce. And we really do push back hard on uh, when employers are trying to take parts of their business and send it overseas because you're going to workers are going to lose their job. Um, the economy is going to hurt because it's less less taxes coming in, and 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 there's obviously there's this whole uh, effect to it. And so I think that people 
Uh, I think the effects from down south are, are coming up. I know that we're saying to the liberal, liberal government in the next election, when you do call it, you should talk about the fact that a good job is a unionized job. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. I mean, what message uh, should you be sending to politicians and economists <coughs> and employers uh, uh, in this environment then? Exactly that, to be honest with you, um, you know, along with there, there's, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things, right? I think that the pandemic brought to light the fact that we don't have, we, we have massive holes in our income security and people fall through the cracks on that. And that the amounts are just not enough to keep people afloat. Uh, and so there's a lot of conversation around that. Um, you know, we push very hard around the need for childcare um, so that more women could be in the labor workforce and that more families didn't have to make the choice of uh, should I have one child, two children or three children, or oh, if we go from two to three, one of us has to stay home and we're now an income of one uh, because we can't afford childcare. Now we see this childcare agreement um, this framework come out from the federal government and the provinces so far seven provinces one territory have picked it up $10 a day childcare. can you imagine I was pushing for this when my children were young and they're out of that now. Um, but this is certainly going to be helpful for others, so those are the, the conversations that we're having around uh, with. Um, and, and those are going to be issues I think that uh, that Canadians are going to talk about because they felt it they've been burned by it. Uh, they've struggled with it through the pandemic, um, but certainly I think, uh, you know, the message to the federal government has has been, um, and, and even the provincial government, and will continue to be, we need to make Canada where we, uh, you know, create work ourselves and employ our own people. Um, and there needs to be a sustainable manufacturing sector where we uh, manufacture our own goods, right? And not that it is everything is sent out. And, and, here, and that's why when we work in, when we have unionized um, workplaces and auto plants, we fight off that that auto plant gets shut down uh, in Oshawa and gets pushed off to Mexico or closed in Windsor and sent down to Mexico, we push for that. This is actually a good thing for Canadians, for communities, for uh, you know, uh, even um, other uh, employers around in the area. Because if you have a whole plant move of like 2000 people, who's gonna buy your coffee? Who's gonna come eat in your restaurants? Who's buying the homes, right? Uh, so there's like a trickle effect. And, and so, and, and I think that the government knows that when, we push the employers to keep their uh, keep the work here, that that's a good thing for them too. Do you think we may see a larger cultural shift in attitudes of people towards workers like we did at the beginning of the pandemic? Or will we go back to old attitudes? I guess I'm asking, has something shifted within the broader society? I, I, I don't think we're going to go back to the, the same, to be perfectly honest with you. I think that people have, there's been a cohesiveness uh, that has um, between, uh, you know, within the community in a way that we've never seen before. People, like I said, I feel like they've personalized, right? I mean, I, I would go to the grocery store here where I live in Milton, and um, I would see more and more, uh, you know, standing in line at the cash, uh, hearing somebody talk to the worker, and actually talk about the fact that you know thank you so much for uh working through the pandemic this is this is it they feel the value and i don't think that that can get devalued 
I just, I just don't think that you can go back to that. I think that what we will see um, at some point, uh, employers wanting to push back on, you know, uh, what that value uh, translates to in terms of dollars and cents. And I think we're going to see a little bit of a, um, a, a struggle in the next couple of years uh, where, where their expectation is, well, it doesn't really matter. Every year we give you 15 cents increase. Whereas now I think workers are going to say, no, no, this is more about my value versus you just give me another five cents or 10 cents, right? Noreen Rizvi, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. Rob, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's always wonderful to be here. That was my conversation with Noreen Rizvi, talking about the rise of unionization during the pandemic. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.